I, I just love coming here because it's free. It's usually pretty empty. It's starting to fill up, I guess, right now. Today, the total cost of our endeavor is, I think it was $3.60 for three new targets. Nothing costs that little in San Francisco. No. Well, everything about this park is free. I, I, that's pretty much. So that's why I love it. So we're going to teach you guys... You want, you, you're going to start, Peter. You ready? Yeah, I'm just thinking right now who I should be visualizing. Yeah. I was deciding whether Hawkeye uh, Katniss, Hawkeye, uh, yeah. and, and uh, Legolas seem like the obvious three. Maybe <laughs> I want to go a little bit. There you go. Anytime you feel like it, release. Nice. Whoa. Okay. He didn't so hit the target, but he hit the board. Higher, right? Yeah, you're two feet, three feet below. Nice. Whoa, that was really good. That was, I retire, six inches to the right of the bullseye. Beautiful. You just heard author and archer Dave Eggers in Golden Gate Park helping us out on the first step of what I can only imagine will be an Olympic archery career for both of us. We are so athletic, Peter. It just becomes clearer and clearer. Yeah, I got closest to the bullseye, but you definitely had the presence out there holding the bow and arrow. Let's be honest, nobody's afraid of the guy who reviewed all four Alvin and the Chipmunks (laughs) films. But your column's already a literary bow and arrow aimed at $1.7 million bathrooms. So I'm thinking if you just show up to assignments now with a bow and arrow, that's going to be a good look for Heather Knight. I'm going to do it. Plus, I'm going to wear a cloak. That would be a good look. Um, Let's describe this scene. Let's go back a little bit here. Dave Eggers is an author, heartbreaking work of staggering genius, and founder of the 826 Valencia Writing Center. His new book, The Eyes and the Impossible, is heavily inspired by Golden Gate Park. So when he asked us to meet him at the archery field, I thought it was just a meeting place. Like, we're going to sit down and record a podcast. I was with you. I showed up just thinking it's just, you know, a place to meet in Golden Gate Park and we would just sit on the bench and record. But um, Dave had, you know, all the equipment, the bows and the arrows and the target. And uh, he gave us a lesson and we rolled with it because we're cool like that. But um, you definitely were the better archer. By the way, we're recording very close to our target. We like set up chairs and little like TV trays and we're pretty close to our target but the people on either side of us were positioned much farther away so it felt like arrows were flying by us I mean you'd hear these little during the podcast well I'm never surprised by the creativity coming from Dave Eggers and 826 Valencia and McSweeney's and everything he's associated with But Eyes in the Impossible was lovely and unique and totally unexpected. Uh, I I really dug this book. Even just looking at it, it's stunningly beautiful. There's um, two editions, as he told us, and he gave us copies of the one um, published by McSweeney's, which has a wooden cover with um, cutouts of his name and the title and trees, and then it's filled with beautiful paintings. It feels like um, a treasure of a book, literally. Uh, The book itself, he writes from the point of view of a dog, Johannes, who lives in a park that has some incredibly specific references to Golden Gate Park, but also isn't Golden Gate Park. 
It reminds me of the type of book that I would have read aloud to my kids, maybe some Charlotte's Web vibes. It's really its own thing. Maybe my favorite thing he's written. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And we learned that he reads our work in the paper. He does not listen to the podcast because he does not have a smartphone. But we told him how he can listen on his computer. Yeah, we're going to send the uh, analog version of this podcast to uh, (laughs) Dave and his people. Uh, Some new business, Heather. Our movie night fundraisers were a huge success, starting with your column, and then we set up three movies, all sellouts, and it sounds like the Balboa, Four Star, and Vogue theaters are in a really good place now. Yes, um, the GoFundMe and the movies that we hosted raised a combined $120,000, and Adam Bergeron, who manages all three, said he's so relieved. Um, This really saved him and his family in the theater. So um, good job, San Francisco. Yeah. And and most importantly, go to the movies, keep going, check out their calendars, go see a movie, spend some money in the neighborhoods. They're all in these great neighborhoods with a lot of small businesses. Other new business, I've made more of Heather's Bay Area hip hop mixtape. I've had a couple people ask me and I don't have them. I've run out. Shout out to Leo and Luca, the two children who asked for one at our So I Married an Axe Murderer movie night. It was incredibly cute. And then I didn't have a mixtape with me. So I will um, make one for them and send it out on Monday. Nice. Yeah, they were very cute. And do you think they knew that you were Norton the Itzit? I don't think anybody knows. Actually, Heather, I don't know if we should tell people that. It kind of ruins the (laughs) magic that Norton isn't its own thing. Um, No, I don't think they knew I was Norton. I didn't have the big gloves on when I talked to them. Well, I want to hear what people want to suggest for our next movie night or any other ideas you have. Call the Total SF Party Line. We're working on a mailbag episode. Peter, how do they call? They can call us at 415-777-7413. You can ask us about the podcast. You can ask us about uh, episodes you want to hear in the future. You can ask us questions about us. We ran into a colleague the other day who thought we were married again. So there's a lot of confusion (laughs) about the podcast, apparently. Um, Call up and ask us anything. 415-777-7413. Leave a message and it may be played on the Total SF Podcast. I'm Legolas of the Woodland Realm, here with Katniss Everdeen. What? Famous archers in sci-fi and fantasy, Heather. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Total SF Podcast, Dave Eggers. Hey, how are you? I didn't know when I was supposed to jump in there. Okay, (laughs) I I got it. Hi. Well, we're sitting in the archery field in Golden Gate Park. I've never been here. Have you, Peter? I've never been here. I've walked, when we're doing our adventures through the Richmond District, I've walked by the archery um, store a couple times, but I've never been here, and it has exceeded expectations. We got an archery lesson from Dave Eggers, which not very many people can say. And and these guys were very good their first time. They took to it naturally, let's say. There's Among the two of them, there's a prodigy, and we won't mention which (laughs) one it is. It's (laughs) definitely Peter. This is actually the second out of uh, the last three weeks where one of our guests has just noticed the Chronicle reporter's athleticism. (laughs) Yeah. So I think... (laughs) 
Chronicle reporters, <laughs> as much as we're known for writing and, and uh, covering. Secrets out. Yeah, I think athleticism is. We is, just did an episode climbing tons of staircases in the city with uh, this woman who does that all the time. And she's like, I'm amazed you can climb these staircases wow. like we were 100 years old. Yeah. Well, that's good. You just see this feel-good podcast and mostly making you feel good. That's important. We can climb stairs and shoot arrows. Yeah. Um, well, when did you start coming to the archery field, and how did you become such an avid archer? I That, that would be uh, overstating it, maybe, but I'll take it that I'm an <laughs> avid archer. I uh, About maybe six years ago, I think, I have a friend who uh, I was... we coached baseball together for a lot of years and his dad was like a master archer in Michigan and won like senior archery contests and everything and so he came out to visit one time the dad did and taught us all uh some basic things and we did the thing where we all went out and got official recurve wooden uh you know uh archery equipment at SF Archery over on Balboa and then we would come here with our kids for you know, we got really into it for about six months, and then they faded away, and then I kept coming. I use this place sometimes as a way to sort of do something with old friends or, or even have, like, meetings, oh, cool. <laughs> sort of. With, and we were doing something instead of sitting at a table looking at each other for an yeah. hour and a half. Like, so, and, the, and this is free. You don't have to reserve it. You come every, you can, you know, you get to know a few of the people, but, and then you can watch some really amazing archers while you're, flailing uh, on your own <laughs> target. Well, Peter and I have explored every other part of Golden Gate Park, I think, and done lots of episodes here. We think this is probably the best urban park in the world. Do you agree? That's what I've been saying over and over. And I find something new. I mean, I've been here since 92, and I found this six years ago. So that shows you 26 years of ignorance about this. There's something different or new in this park that you discover every couple of years or that changes, like the great highway closing mm-hmm. thing was a big deal in my life because I thought that was the best right, bike ride in North America, or at least in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is the biggest, wildest, best urban park in the world. I don't think there's any contest anywhere. Uh, I, I can't think of anything with No, I agree. Yeah. And, and designed that way. I mean, the people who created this park, you know, 125 plus years ago, designed it so it would feel like you're in the wild. Yeah. Uh, no museums, no statues. I mean, they snuck a few in. Yeah. But not a lot of that kind of thing here. I mean, you can get lost here. Well, and to think this was all dunes, you know, everywhere we're mm-hmm. sitting, every one of this, every inch of this was dunes. And uh, I, uh, I love, I mean, the main thing that, moving here from Chicago and uh, where there isn't a park like this <clears throat> there's the lakefront which is great but it isn't there isn't a big urban park that's wild like this and compared to Central Park in a lot of places there's it's nothing manicured it's not hasn't been over planned it hasn't there's still I got I I was here maybe a, a week ago trying to meet up with somebody and we both got lost. We couldn't find each other because we didn't have GPS or anything. And there's and a lot of this stuff isn't named. It's like, what is this name for this pond? pond? Nobody could figure it out. So it took us 25 minutes to find each other because it is that big. Yeah. But that's what's great is the, the untamed part of it, the wild and unnamed and unmanicured part of it. I think that that gives the kids especially that feeling that they really are in 
somewhat of a still uh, wild place. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're saying right now makes me think like at some point along one of these walks or something, you had the seed for this idea. And did it start in Golden Gate Park? Yeah, I, I mean, the voice of Johannes, this dog protagonist, has been in my head for 20 odd years, but setting it here was sort of a something that happened maybe it might have happened around the same time as discovering this archery field and sort of being able to my kids were old enough to bike through the park and we could all bike together and nobody got tired or complained or anything and um and really re rediscovering it and um and and then you'll see i mean the book has all kinds of nods to golden gate park in the end it isn't golden gate park but you locals say it isn't, know. but... <laughs> I mean, well, there's a well, geographical quirk that comes out later that you're like, oh, well, that couldn't be Golden Gate Park. That's a little revelation. But there is an albino alligator yeah. that we talked about. There is a... A caped roller skater. There's a there. caped roller skater. Yeah, people are, like, rolling their eyes. Like, yeah, that's not Golden <laughs> Gate Park. But so I just, I wanted it to be kind of like a homage for locals, but nobody else, nobody that, even people that live in two hours south don't know all of these details yeah. of it so they're just going to sort of take it as a general <laughs> they're going to think you're just so creative that you came up with an albino alligator <laughs> yes i fooled, the, fooled them again <laughs> did you did you spend a lot of time once you know you're going to do this did you spend a lot of time here were you researching i did one official research trip that was outside of just my usual coming here and i brought a notebook and I stopped periodically. I, I was on my bike, stopped. I was do doing a lot of actually, the only time I ever did this was riding no-handed, writing down notes, thinking that was a smart idea. And then got this notebook, took it back to my boat. I ride on a little boat. And, and then I left it in a bad place on the boat. And it, next rain, it got soaked. Can't read a word of it. So I used none of the official notes. <laughs> that I took but most of the book is just from memory and just a, a sort of a everything I love most about the place and so I didn't have to do any hardcore journalism for this one by the way we're hearing birds here yeah. we've had a lot of good San Francisco locations the combination of the birds and the little thwip <laughs> of the guy next to us shooting arrows and I'm I'm getting a really good idea who I want to become friends with for the apocalypse right now because this guy's going to be real helpful right over yeah, here. There's a guy at the end with sort of he's got full gear on and headphones over his <laughs> head, his head hat. sort of his yeah sort of sun hat and um, but you do find all kinds like there's a guy here that has a very old traditional bow that's about eight feet tall. And then you find people, there's usually one person in a cloak, which I love. Nice. And, and uh, we haven't seen any cloaks yet. Yeah, no cloaks. These guys are all very casually dressed. But, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there are some people that are into the gear here. But I, what I love about it as a non-gear person is that it's very accepting of everybody. Like people will just come with a, a shirt and three arrows and, and a bow and no equipment. And um, And, again, it's just like first come first serve free and everybody pretty much stays out of everybody's way you, you come here and you think it's going to be like a surf lineup or there's going to be like <laughs> some sort of aggro yeah uh you know pecking order and instead it's so mellow and everybody's <laughs> so kind 
what we've been talking before we started recording about a lot of synergy between what we've been doing and what you've been doing. One thing, um, we just ran a contest to name the official animal of San Francisco, and the wild parrots of Telegraph Hill won. Oh, right. They are not in your book, but pretty much every other animal that was in contention is in the book. Bison, um... Did we have raccoons? Yeah, raccoons. So is that, yeah. is that pole goals. a binding thing? Do they get the some sort of scepter and a sash? And <laughs> we didn't think it would be binding. We're like, they're going to laugh at this. And like, we, our plan was that we would make a flag and like wave it in front of City Hall and make it the people's choice. But then they really got into it. I think they really wanted something fun. Right. I think, I think it's like a hard, hard year to be in City Hall right now. They oh, wanted yeah. something fun. So we think this is going to happen. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. You know, put it somehow in some crest or something. Right. Or yeah. I hope and maybe they get sort of a mini key to the city of some kind <laughs> that, that they can carry the around and keep in their nest. Yeah. I like that idea. I haven't seen those guys in a long time, but I had friends that lived right below them in North Beach for years. Mm-hmm. So aren't they still sort They're of around. North Beachy? Yeah. 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 So um, you... In addition to the dog, you wrote dialogue for raccoons, gulls, bison, ducks. Was there one animal voice you enjoyed writing the most? The ducks. It's I such think. a great passage. So, is it spoiling to say there's even a passage? Oh no! You get to hear from the ducks. Yeah, <laughs> and it's That's not, not a disappointment because you're hearing about the ducks, <laughs> and then you hear from the ducks, and it is not a disappointment. So the 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 sort of more responsible animals in the park just are exasperated by the uselessness of the ducks and <laughs> and just for the parents out there just know like usually in fiction when you sort of dump on one species like ducks they end up being redeemed in the end this is not the case <laughs> I, I didn't want to redeem the ducks i just decided you know what the most realistic thing is that the, all the species would actually really uh, be down on the one group, you know, and it's not necessarily a, a knock on the whole duck species, but this group of ducks that hang out at Mallard Lake just are never there for anybody. They're not there to help out, no matter how many times they're called upon. They're just thinking about themselves. And I thought, you know what? Let's they they give them the the chance to be redeemed. We will say that, and then they they blow it off as always. <laughs> so it's just a lesson: do not trust the ducks. <laughs> When you sign books for fans, do you sign as yourself or as the dog? Oh, that's a good idea. I, I've been doing it so that the dog in the end papers is kind of, there's a little dialogue bubble coming from his mouth. So that part of it is from him, and then I sign below okay. as me. That's nice. a good question, yeah. <laughs> it took me a little bit, a little a minute or two to figure out. How to do that. How to do that. But, um yeah, I, I have not signed at Johannes yet, but that's maybe an idea. Well, just the paw like a little paw print. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Well, if you'll indulge us and our listeners, we'd love for you to read something. Yeah, I do not have a, a go-to Q 
curated type of passage, so I'll just read from the beginning. Yeah. And you just tell me when to stop. <laughs> you know, is it a paragraph or two? I'm going to read along. This is going to be like kindergarten. <laughs> All right. This is chapter one. I turn, I turn, I turn before I lie to sleep and I rise before the sun. I sleep inside and sleep outside and have slept in the hollow of a thousand-year-old tree. When I sleep, I need warmth, I need quiet, I need freedom from sound. When I sleep, I dream of mothers in clouds. Clouds are messengers of God. And I dream of pupusas, for I love pupusas, and I eat them with gusto. I am a dog called Johannes, and I have seen you. I have seen you in this park, my home. If you have come to this park, my vast green and wind-blown park by the sea, I have seen you. I have seen everyone who has been here, the walkers and runners and bikers and horse riders and the bison seekers and the picnickers and the archers in their cloaks. Here we go, the cloaks again. (laughs) When you have come here, you have come to my home where I am the eyes. I have seen all of you here, the big and small and tall and odorous, the travelers and tourists and locals and roller skating humans and those who play their brass under the mossy bridge and the jitterbug people who dance over that other bridge and bearded humans who try to send flying discs into cages but usually fail. I see all in this park because I am the eyes and have been entrusted with seeing and reporting all. Ask the turtles about me. Ask the squirrels. Don't ask the ducks. The ducks know nothing. <laughs> Is that a good place to stop? Or you went you yeah. really down on ducks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's good reason. In that, you know. I really have no personal uh, antipathy to ducks. I have no bad experiences with ducks. I just figured that the dogs wouldn't like yeah. ducks. There's something <laughs> about sense. them. Well, you, you describe the book as all ages. Uh, who are you hoping is reading The Eyes and the Impossible? Well, I... So you, we were talking... Uh, you have kids. We all have mm-hmm. kids that are in their teens, tweens, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you had this experience, but rereading and reading for the first time a lot of those books for middle grade or especially the chapter books, um, I would kept on being struck by how good these books were and how much fun I was having reading like Mr. Popper's Penguins, you know, and thinking, oh, this is f- much uh, <clears throat> better on every level than I would have expected or that the average person knows. And then, but then on the back it says middle grade or whatever it says. And I feel like we're depriving ourselves, or the general populace is depriving themselves of so many, so much incredibly fun reading because it's for this age group or that age group. Or, and, um, and so, you know, and then through 826 Valencia, over the last 20 years, we've seen a lot of kids that are English language learners or reluctant readers. And maybe they're 14 and they, w- and they love, and they want to pick up Tales of Despero, but they see on the back that it's for ages 9 to 12. And they're like, oh, damn it, I can't, I guess I'm not allowed to read that book. Or if I do, I'm stupid or I'm, you know, should be ashamed. And so I'm kind of not a big fan of this hyper stratification of reading categories. I really feel like the all ages category, which I some, maybe I'm erroneously thinking, remembering that from when I was a kid just seemed like there were more books that didn't have that you you know this age group that age group and I would love there to be that category that was on the back of you know books by Jason Alexander or Kate DiCamillo or um, E.B. White <clears throat> Judy Bloom even uh, just because you could read Judy Bloom tomorrow and have a blast with that book you know any of those books um, 
she doesn't dumb anything down. Mm-hmm. And most of these really these really great writers that you've probably seen your kids read, they're not dumbing anything down. There's just maybe a more a clarity to the storytelling, and it might involve sentient talking animals. But other than that, the themes are just as universal. The you know there's the storytelling is maybe even better in some cases than so-called adult fiction. So. I don't know. So I really didn't have any audience in mind. I really wrote it exactly as I would have, as I wanted to write it, and uh, I think it's readable for, by anybody without shame <laughs> or stigma. Definitely. It's poetic in places and adventurous in places, and there's a couple places. I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler where it feels like a heist movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like Ocean's Eleven with animals for yeah. a couple of. There is a little bit of a heist vibe <laughs> near the end there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this version that we have, the McSweeney's version. How did you get the idea to have this wooden cover? So I went to a post office in randomly because I was killing time before one of my son's baseball games. And I went to a post office in Corte Madera. And they had a, uh, a bamboo uh, greeting card. And it was like $8. And I was like, how did that... You know, I'm always... We've been printing for so long, so I'm always trying to figure out, like, what's the unit cost of this? How do you make that work? And so we sent that card to our printer in Hong Kong and said, could you do something like this for a cover? And they said, well, of course we could do that. And Because they can do anything uh-huh. that you want them to do. And so we spent... Then I met with Sean Harris, who I've worked with a lot of times on books... He's the artist uh, that did the cover and the art inside. We met at the Ferry Building Book Passage in 2019, which I didn't realize it had been that long, and it's kind of shocking that it took this long to uh, get it all together. But we met then and cooked up the idea to try to make the most beautiful object that we possibly could. And so and I showed him the wooden idea, and then... So we've been doing sending prototypes back and forth from Hong Kong for three and a half years. Wow. wow. And, um, and then Sean took old Flemish and Dutch master landscapes from mostly the 1700s and then painted Johannes into each one of them. Wow. We so got creative. the rights to maybe 30 of them, and then we narrowed it down to 13 that looked enough like a park like this. Not and Golden Gate Park. Not Golden Gate <laughs> Park, but a park that... Form, you know, anyway, it, yeah, and and so periodically in the book, there's like these you know full bleed spreads of uh, of art that don't really illustrate any particular moment in the book, but they're just kind of lush landscapes that like we're in right now. You know, that's the other thing about this park is that there are so many vistas. Like you'll be there's so many wide meadows like this where you can see sort of the vastness of things, which is I think also different than a lot of parks where you don't get the perspective because it's either too dense or it's just all wide open. You don't have the variation of like hundred mm-hmm. year old trees plus these open spaces and that balance here is incredibly elegant, I think. Do you well, want to wait till that plane goes? Through? No, no, no. That's no, a seaplane that uh, yeah. takes off from right off of 101 near in yeah, between Sausalito. Mill Valley and yeah, Sausalito. And that he goes over my boat office 
20 times a you day. You have a boat <laughs> So I, I ride on a boat. So I, during COVID, I started riding on a little boat in the bay. And um, it's like a little sailboat. And um, wow. big enough for one person in the cabin. And that's because I couldn't... Uh, once we had to get Wi-Fi at home for home, you know, yeah. uh, school at home, um, I couldn't concentrate anymore. So I had to like find a place. I and want an office on a boat. We need a total SF sailboat. We should. You <laughs> should. Chronicle's got a lot of spare cash right now. I'm sure. Though. Oh, you know, a great story for you though. I mean, actually, Heather Richard, who's my friend, she's a sea captain over there, and she just started being the captain at the Matthew Turner. Uh, so if you ever want to go on the Matthew Turner on a Sunday for, with the first woman captain, uh, yeah. she's, she's, you know, we've been friends What's for a Matthew long time. Turner? Matthew Turner is like sort of a replica of like an 18th century English uh, ship. I don't know what the That's technical so cool. type of ship, but they, but they built it in the saucy little boat yards for about, it took them five, six years, but it's a down to the last rivet kind of replica and it's you see it out it goes to and fro under the bridge sometimes it's got yeah. i think three masts and i think we've gotten like five episode ideas yeah this this is that one <laughs> we're definitely it's gonna so have, beautiful you gotta do it we're definitely gonna have an archery episode yeah um so your your arrival in san francisco is very well documented yeah i guess uh, so um yeah heartbreaking work of staggering genius it, it talks about it what do you what do you that seems that scene of san francisco seems ancient to me as someone who's been here same around amount of time yeah. what do you think about the changes here do you still come to the city do you still enjoy it yeah i mean i'm uh our office has been we have 826 valencia which opened in 2002 and then the mcsweeney's offices are across the street at 849 so I'm there all the time. Um, and, you know, Valencia, I mean, they just knocked down the Phoenix, which was our sort of after hangout um, mm-hmm. places where I would go see, would, uh, watch Giants games and stuff, and that was kind of sad. But I don't, you know, um, for as much as it's changed, I think it's a lot, there's just as much that's stayed exactly the same. And I think right now, I was talking to another old friend that we both got here in the 90s, uh, same year, 92, and we worked at Salon together in 94, Katerina Fake, who started Flickr later on, and she's been around a long time, but we were in our 20s then, and we were just sort of noting all the ways that it seems maybe we're both kind of, you know, just optimistic about things, but it seems to be regenerating mm-hmm. in a way and going back to kind of a more artsy place. I love the slow streets. Mm-hmm. I love the parklets. I love uh, uh, the city's trying to get sort of nonprofits and pop-ups downtown. You know, I love that program, and I love the fact that some of these uh, fly-by-night tech companies are leaving, and so uh, <laughs> you're seeing a little bit less of that bro culture. That, and you know, I felt like. The, you know, obviously I've written about technology stuff and I'm a cynic, uh, a skeptic about a lot of it, but I think the thing that always upset me most was the unwillingness to engage and to listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you found it with that viral video of the tech bros playing soccer in the park Mm -hmm. across from our offices um, where they had reserved it on some website and the kids really 
incredibly bold and eloquent teenagers from the neighborhood that were like, well, well let's just play together. We'll yeah. play together. Why It'd don't be we so just play together? It'd be so much more fun to play together. Anyway. Yeah, wouldn't it be great? And they were like, well, no, we reserved it. We reserved it. We went on the website, and they just kept going back into this, you know, robotic, technical talk that had nothing to do with give and take and the organic right. and the, um, the the amount that you have to kind of bend in a city, you know, and you have to listen and mm -hmm. you have to be willing to compromise. And everybody's living in close proximity and it can be a great thing when everybody's kind of listening to each other and collaborating and and um, saying it's not about me and my wishes for my team building exercise <laughs> at the <laughs> soccer field. It's about, you know, it's yeah. not going to go exactly as you plan. So that's why you have this sort of conflict between this closed ecosystems of these tech campuses and then when those people head out into the city at large they get they get so upset when something doesn't go their way you know that um that they sort of uh short circuit and so but so anyway that's just to say like i feel you know block by block we're here in the Richmond, which hasn't changed much. You go up and down Geary and Clement, tell yeah. me it's changed. <laughs> Come on. Or if you, <clears throat> you know, if you really go up and down Mission, it's mostly, not mostly, but about half empty storefronts right now. Like things are really regenerating and it, we'll see where it goes. But, um, uh, and I think rents are coming down. There's a lot of these good signs, I think. But I'm always looking on the, op you know, the bright side yeah. of it and I can't speak for everybody's experience, but... Um, to me, there's always there's there's a lot of good indications that um, it's going to get back a little bit to its scruffy, uh, uh, anything goes kind of yeah. uh, city of yes sort of uh, like roots. Yeah. Well, we we were uh, on the podcast. I mean, we our mission of the podcast shifted, and a lot of what we talk about now are small businesses and neighborhoods and. Going into the pandemic, I thought we were going to lose half or more of our bookstores and movie theaters, independent movie theaters. And not to say we didn't lose some and, you know, that's horrible, but I also saw a lot of people rallying around those small businesses and kind of maybe having a little bit of a check within themselves, appreciating what we have and realizing it would take something to fight for it. And so I, I'm sad about what's gone, but I'm actually surprised and feel very lucky about what's still here we lost a lot of restaurants i think that's a that's a combination of a lot of factors but obviously covid crippled them and then once the ppp money ran out then you see this second wave of of uh dying uh that's going on right now but bookstores for one thing yeah we they did okay and they're they're all having very good years from what i've been hearing oh good um but and while we're talking about it, the SF Archery Shop on Balboa and 39th <laughs> needs your business. Yeah. I just talked to Ed there. I said, "How's business?" He said, "A little slow." And, well, Peter's uh, going to go buy a whole. Yeah, thing. you have to and buy your whole setup because <laughs> they depend on a guy getting outfitted with your your recurve for you and one for the kids, and um, and then that'll keep them in good stead for a few weeks. So yeah. I, I feel like a journalist and archer. Peter Harlow. <laughs> Last um, week you called or, yourself journalist athlete, Peter Harlow. Yeah, well, that can be all these things. I like the hyphen between the two. <laughs> journalist yeah. ar archer. <laughs> On a business card, I would give you anything to do that. That would be my dare. 
Well, you've survived our very serious questions, and now it's time for our lightning round. Oh, okay. Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? El Buen, Buen Sabor. It's uh, two blocks from our office. It's very, not, there's two places to sit. You can't really sit in there unless you... There's a few places, but um, they're very quick. It's never crowded, um, and the people are great. So Good. that's my sort of lesser-known burrito place. What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? I have a kind of a... So I thought that uh, anything that Philip Kaufman did, he did pretty well here. Um, even um, He knew the city better than I think anybody else. I think So I Married an Axe Murderer is startlingly beautiful. Like the the cinematography in that for like this goofy comedy was way above what it needed to be. We just showed that at the Balboa last week. Oh, is that right? There's more synergy. (laughs) We have a movie series and it's at the, um, at indie theaters. So we do like the Balboa and Four Star that's reopened. And we've done So I Married an Axe Murderer twice with, with a the, bagpiper. With the bagpiper from the movie. Oh, God. Now, he didn't play, but his friend played, and he was there. And <laughs> he was the one he, who fell down at the wedding reception. Yeah. Piper down. And he looks exactly the same, except, like, 35 years older. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I just remember that when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's... Nobody's done that before. Yeah. It was so bright. Because you see the ones from the 70s, like Bullet and, uh, you know, Dirty Harry and stuff like that. They're so grimy, and, and, and uh, the cinematography is so so dirty and Mm -hmm. uh so when but i do think it's kind of the fact that we have to go back to that movie is a bummer and i've had a lot of friends try to shoot here it's an old cartoonist friend of mine named keith knight who ran in your pages for a lot of years and um he when he did his series woke he was like i'm gonna shoot it in the richmond i'm gonna do it you know it's gonna really look like the richmond and we're gonna have all the wires over the avenues and everything and then when it came down to budgeting, you just couldn't pull it off. So they shot it in Vancouver, but they've got to make it easier to do. Yeah, the Always Be My Maybe, Ali Wong oh, yeah. like, was dying to shoot everything here. And she ended up, just because of what you're talking about, having to shoot the Clement Street scene in Vancouver. Yeah, she's like, oh, And you know what? There's I'm sure no, it killed her. There's no, they don't look similar at no, all. No, you no. can tell from <laughs> no. the very first second, even the interiors, it's a joke. Like the new Kung Fu they shot in Vancouver and they couldn't even get the exteriors right about where things were in relation to each other yeah. like where the Victorians were in relation to the bridge and all of the geography was uh, absurd and I just think like can't there be some effort from the film yeah. office to make it they only have to get a little closer to these towns like or states like the rebate states mm-hmm. and Canada and I think it would be a, a pretty good thing. The fact that we have to go back to a 90s Mike Myers movie <laughs> is really a sign that we've got to do better. Last question. What is one thing you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? S- sneak into my busy day? What do you make sure to squeeze into oh, your Oh, squeeze busy into. Day? Um, honestly, some outdoor experience. If I don't have... And I'm not an indoor exerciser. I, I don't feel good when I do that. I only feel good when I'm outside doing it for some reason. I don't know why that is. But um, but so that's why I'm here a lot. I got my bike in my car that I'm going to bike around here. If, if I don't do that, and it took me decades to figure this out, huh. was that why do I feel less good today than I did yesterday? It's because I wasn't outside. I didn't get yeah. some exposure to this. And... Um, so if I don't bike, 
I don't feel good. Yeah. So I've, I've learned to make time for that, which I really didn't until probably I hit 50, when I'm like, you know, you really have to carve it out. And at, this, at the expense of your work, you've got to think about not dying. You know, and <laughs> so it's always like a priority. And you get up like, don't die. And so one of the ways to not die is to make sure you do some kind of movement outside every day. But yeah, well, this was so much fun. Thank you for teaching us archery and for chatting. Yeah, thank I, you. I we'll loved, see you here in the future, yes. I'm sure. I, I I fanboy only at the very end of the podcast. I absolutely loved the book, and uh, I think it's my favorite thing that you've done. I I was halfway through it, and I'm like, I know I'm going to revisit this. Mm again and it's just um i hope people check it out it's it's well, delightful and me. local and uh beautiful and I, I i can't say anymore without giving anything away but i, I just really enjoyed it it was uh it was wonderful well that means the world to me thank you yeah. really glad that you liked it and let's hope uh, your kids don't hate it <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna love it too <laughs> they're gonna love this is it. wonderful thank you so much thanks all right good what job are, what are their uh Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music today is from the Sunset Shipwrecks, Castro organ player David Hegarty, and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Loved it. I've missed that so much.